In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. It's a blessing to be here, seeing everybody back. So uh, Holy Week is a, an interesting time in the church. It's a very holy time and a very dedicated time. We see lots of black hanging around. We hear lots of sad hymns and tunes. Uh, at some point during the week, we don't greet each other. Uh, during the morning, we do matanyas. We, we fast more strictly. And so the question is, why are we so sad during Holy Week? And of course, the church never feels sorry for Jesus. In fact, you know, the night of the, the day of the crucifixion, you know, Jesus looked at the women who were weeping and he said to them, do not weep for me but for yourselves and for your children. And so I'm always struck by what we say incessantly in the church. Thine is the power and the blessing and the glory. And we're saying it in front of the icon of the crucifixion. And I, and I wonder if someone came in off the street and saw us saying thine is the power to a crucified person, to someone who's dying, wouldn't they think we're a little crazy? Especially if you atheist, you know, you're like, this is your leader, this is them killing him. And you're saying thine is the power to the guy on the cross. And so that's the question, the power of death. Is that really a thing? Is death powerful? And the answer is yes, his death is very powerful. St. Paul says, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise. We say his death is life-giving. His death is life-giving. And so we start Holy Week with Lazarus' death and resurrection, and we end Holy Week with Christ's death and resurrection. And the very first gospel that we read in the very first hour in the very first Pascha on Sunday night, the very first gospel that the, cho the church chooses to read to us is the, from the Gospel of John. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And that's what the church chooses to start off Holy Week with. First hour. If it dies, it produces many seeds. So is death a good thing or a bad thing? I know we all cry when people around us die. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't even feel natural, although intellectually we know everything dies. When death occurs, it feels like a shock. It feels unnatural. Thank you, Maggie. And obviously there's been a lot of death this year. Many of us have been touched by COVID in many ways. Um, we know people who've died if we don't know them directly, we know people who know people who've had relatives who have passed away. Death has really struck us this year. And COVID, I think, re revealed to us a tremendous fear in all of us. It, it revealed, it revealed uh, a fear of death, a very strong fear of death. And we saw it. People were afraid. I mean, it started with the toilet paper, but then it just kept going. Everybody was really scared, and, and you could see it, you know, when, when the numbers would start to move up, and especially when it hit the ICU beds, right? You could tell, like, hey, 
I need an ICU bed. If something goes south with me, I want a bed because I'm afraid. I don't want to die. St. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so, you, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's saying that about the people who sleep in death. Don't grieve like the rest of the people who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring, will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Much of Monday's readings during the day was about this death. It was about the story of Adam. And we kept reading. That's how we also start Monday, the story of Adam. And about eating and about death you shall surely die. And how he was exiled from paradise. And we, we focus on this first death of man. And ultimately, of course, the whole point of Christ coming back is that, is that death of man. And so ultimately, death is foreign to us. It isn't natural. As we say in the liturgy, death entered the world through the envy of the devil. It, it, it came as a byproduct of the fall, along with disease and corruption. Death was something that wasn't really part of the plan. And that's why it shocks us. That's why it stuns us. And this, 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 this threat and fear of death can take our joy. Death takes away happiness. And sometimes we live with this death hanging over our heads, don't we? In fact, humans, unlike any other animals, are the only ones who are really keenly aware of our death, right? I mean, I know, you know, average male lives 78.5 years, I'm 74, I can do the math, right? Cat, however, has no idea that it's got, you know, it's in a 12-year lifespan and it's only 10 years old, so it's got two more years to live. Cats don't know they're going to die. They just kind of hang out. And, but we do. We're given this gift and this curse that we know it's coming. And people deal with it differently. Some people choose not to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. Some people don't go to funerals ever. Some people, when their parents discuss their will, I don't want to talk about it. Some people just occupy themselves. They just stay very busy. Some people try to amass large amounts of money and, and, and you know, like at the universities, we see people endowing buildings with their names, right? So we can put their picture up so they can be immortal somehow. Some people get very, very healthy, right? As if that's gonna make a difference. And some people never really live because of it, right? Some people try to live, you know, they, they you tell them anything and they're like, what's the point? We're all going to die. And then the other people, on the other hand, will live too much, right? There's an expression the youth say, YOLO, right? You only live once. And they just try to do as much as they can while they're alive, right? I saw a bumper sticker once on a car that said, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? So, you know, it's, that's his attitude, right? It's like, I assumed it's a he, you know, that I'm just going to buy stuff. I'm going to get stuff, right? And so, what should our reaction to death be? What should it be like? What should our perspective be on death? And I like this expression, we should use death as a smelling salt. You know, smelling salts are these things you put to your nose and they have this horrendous reaction. And so if anyone's even a little bit, you know, it's unconscious, but he's breathing, you put the thing and they just react. Death should be like that, right? It should make us react. It should awaken us from the false belief that we're gonna live forever, even if we eat a lot of kale. So I want to, you know, look at the way St. Paul looks at it, right? He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And that's beautiful. That's perfect. That's the, 
you know, I kind of, you know, I, I hear this from St. Paul, and I think I want what he's having. He sees the death. He says, where is your victory, and where is your sting? He says, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And he continues, and to free those who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. To free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Sounds a lot like COVID. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. And this is our perspective as Christians. You know, we, we just moved it, but right here, there used to be an icon of the crucifixion. And next to the icon of the crucifixion was always the icon of who? David and Goliath. And so you wonder, why did we put the icon of David and Goliath next to the icon of the crucifixion? You see, Goliath never faced a man he didn't kill. Goliath never faced a man he didn't kill until he met David. And then David killed him. And so Goliath, and, and, and what did we say on Palm Sunday to, to Christ? Hosanna to the son of David, right? So David is Christ, and Goliath is death. The, the unbeatable foe, the one that nobody could beat until David beat him, until Christ beat death. And we say this in all the hymns, right? We trampled death by death, you know, defeated death by death, right? And revealed the resurrection by resurrection. And so this is, this is the movement that we have, right? As, as Abuna Andrew said on Sunday, right? This is why we call it Passover, to pass through. And he gave that nice image of, the, of them walking through the tunnel of water, right? The, uh, through the Red Sea. And you can imagine you're passing through death, right? There's just death all around you. And that's what we do. That's what Holy Week's all about. So let's go back to Lazarus really quick. We know that Lazarus died twice, which kind of sucks. <laughs> so having already gone through it and already knowing the full capability of Christ and what he can do, how do you think he felt the second time? Do you think he was even scared laying on his bed? I don't. I, I imagine he had a big smile on his face and he's like, Beat me up, Scotty. That's an old reference. I, I imagine he didn't have a fear in the world. It's like walking into a courthouse, right, and, you, and you're, you're going to be judged, but you have a pardon, a pardon signed by the governor in your back pocket, right? And you're just waiting for the judge to say whatever the judge is going to say, and then you whip out your pardon and you say, boom, right? Checkmate. I win. And I imagine that's what he felt like. Death was coming to take him, and he wasn't scared. And to summarize... Lazarus and his thinking, why wasn't he scared? It's because he already died. He already died. And that experience gave him tremendous strength and probably comfort. So Lazarus wasn't scared of his second death. Why? He already died. So how can I do this? Because I don't want to be scared either. We die as well. We die with Christ over and over, starting in baptism, right? We read in the epistle of the Romans, aren't you aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
we were therefore buried with him, which is why Abuna puts the, the baby or the adult three times for the, to represent the three days in the tomb. We were buried with him. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. We have been united with him in his death and certainly we will be united with him in his resurrection. So death continues. It starts with baptism, but it continues, doesn't it? I asked one of the youth, I said, how was Lent? And he said it sucked. It was really hard. And then he said this expression. He said, this Lent killed me. And I kind of thought about that expression. I'm like, that's the perfect expression. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to kill you. It's supposed to kill a part of you. Every Lent, if it's a good Lent, kills a part of you. All right, I mean, if you come out of Lent and someone says, how is Lent? And you say, it was great. You did something wrong. Right? Usually my Lents end up miserably, <laughs> starting like, you know, day one. So I'll read you some verses from St. Paul, knowing this from Romans, that our old self was crucified with him. And St. Paul always loves to talk about the crucified Christ and my crucifixion with Christ. Our old self was crucified in him that the, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we're no longer slaves to sin. In Romans also, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep led to slaughter. Corinthians, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our flesh. From Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. Colossians, you who died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and Timothy, for if we died with him, we also will live with him. Anyone see the pattern? And so what St. Paul is trying to bring us to is this concept of death. That the death already happened. It started in baptism. It continues through Lent. It continues every part throughout our life constantly ego will constantly dying and then you you reach what he says in philippians which is just one of my favorite verse for me to live is christ and to die is gain it's perfect so the summary of all these verses is what christ took on death so that we could have life he took the death all right the death of our sin the, the consequence of our actions what adam did he said kill me so that you don't die and this is the power that we're chanting to over and over and this is why we look at a, a crucified man and we chant all week like a thousand times thine is the power and the glory and the blessing because it wouldn't make any sense other in any other way all right so let's bring this all back to holy week since that's what we're talking about holy week starts on a high we have lazarus and palm sunday and it ends on a high. We have the resurrection of Christ. And then in the middle, it kind of stinks, right? It kind of just drops. It's almost like an upside down bell, right? It's just, and then I think the, the low point is Wednesday, right? Where Judas sells Christ for the 30 pieces of silver. And so we go through all of these seasons in our life, don't we? We start with baptism. We bring in Christ as a king into our lives when we're baptized. And then this choice 
of bringing in Christ as a king. And when I say bringing him in, I don't mean like just getting baptized, but really choosing Christ, right? Because when we're 40 days old, we're not choosing much. But as we get older, we start to choose Christ. And when we bring him into our life, this assures us of one thing. Struggles and trials and difficulties and, yeah, death. And sometimes we think of God as the, as the, um, the cosmic uh, vending machine, right? He's supposed to give me a good life. He's supposed to make things easy for me, right? But when we look at this icon, we see that's not the case for him. And I'm his disciple. So ultimately, we bring him in. It causes us some troubles, difficulties, trials. In fact, uh, on Tuesday morning yesterday, I, I saw it on the screen. I took a picture and I added it. From, from Sirach, it says, My son, if you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. If you come forward to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for temptation. Set your heart right and be steadfast. Cleave to him and do not depart that you may be honored at the end. Accept what is brought upon you and, ch and in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in him and he will help you. So that's the promise. Christ comes in and the temptations come. And then what happens? Part of me dies. The cross. And that's okay. A part of me has to die. Every time Christ comes in, a part of me has to die. Because there is no resurrection without crucifixion. Right? There's no life without his death. And so that's a part of this cycle that we live over and over again. St. Macarius says, If you love the glories of men and desire to be worshipped and seek comfort, you are off the path. <laughs> you must be crucified with the crucified one. Suffer with him that has suffered, that you may be glorified with him that is glorified. And God teaches us this subtle lesson even in nature, doesn't he? Every season, what do we see? I mean, here in California, we don't see seasons, but if you live anywhere else, what do we see? What happens in the winter? Everything dies, right? The trees die, the leaves fall off, right? All the deciduous trees that we don't have here. And then what happens? Spring comes. And the word Lent means spring. And what happens? The newness of life comes out of the death. It's almost like God's trying to teach us this very subtle lesson. First the death, and then life comes out of the death. And that's the beauty of what God does. So this week emboldens us not to fear death when we chant incessantly, thine is the power to the man, to the God on the cross. And so where does this life come from? Gospel of John chapter 6, very famous, you all know it. I am the bread of life. And then Christ wants to poke at the Jews a little bit, and he does this subtly. He says, your ancestors, by the way, so... Um, to the Jews, uh, the, the miracle of the manna coming down, I mean, you know, you have like a million people in Sinai, right? And they lived for 40 years there, right? If anyone's been to Sinai, you know nothing can live for 40 years in Sinai and not die, right? It's, so it's one of the greatest miracles of the Jews, and, and they're very proud, and they'll say, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, right? That's the big claim to fame, right, of the Jews. So we know we're like right. So Christ says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate men in the wilderness, and they're dead. <laughs> but here, 
is the bread. You, know, you can tell he smiled when he said it. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which when anyone may eat and not die, I am that living bread which will come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews said, how can this man give us fle the flesh to eat? And he continues, Verily, truly, I say, very truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And I want to focus on this last part, remains in me and I in them. So if I eat the flesh and blood of Christ, and I become a part of the body of Christ. And I really believe this. I really believe the things I say every Sunday. So if I look at this icon of Christ crucified, where am I in the icon? I'm in him. So I'm crucified with him. And so his crucifixion isn't just for him to go through. It's not just his cross. It's not just his death, it's my crucifixion. And his resurrection is not just his resurrection. Where, where am I in his resurrection? I'm in him, not just in a symbolic way, but in, in, a, in a mysterious way, in a sacramental way, in a Eucharistic way. I'm alive as a part of him, as he was crucified, as he was resurrected. For we know that cr since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too must count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So if Christ is our king and we're with him, crucified, then we have to rejoice because death has been defeated. He died on our behalf. We have a king that can defeat all the enemies. We have a, a king that can defeat Goliath, the one who is undefeatable. And we have a king who eventually, on Sunday, as we're eating meat, tramples death himself. So hopefully we go through this journey with Christ. I want to read to you this, this last quote. Um, about making Christ our king and what happens to us when we really accept him. One of the things we learned, um, if I read the quote, one of the things we learned and we saw on Palm Sunday was when Christ came into Jerusalem that people were expecting Christ to be a political king, to free them from the Romans, to give them money, to give them health care, food, all the good things. And when he entered the temple, the temple of their hearts, what did he do? The money changers were there. What did he do? He flipped all the tables upside down. You think they were expecting that? In fact, I think they were expecting the opposite. I mean, what if we were reading the story and the story ended, Jesus walked and touched the tables and the, f and the money multiplied? Would anyone be surprised? That's a good ending to the story, right? That's no different than the five loaves and the two fish. That's no different than turning water into wine. That's no different than healing the sick. He, he did stuff. So if the story ended differently and he had gone and touched all the tables and everyone, the money multiplied and everyone said, yeah, guys rocks. 
we wouldn't have been surprised. But he, and that's what maybe what they expected. The king comes in, he's going to do all these things, but he doesn't. When Christ comes in, he reminds us of the verse, we cannot worship God in mammon. You can't worship God in money. You can't worship God in the world. So when he walks into our lives, he flips tables. And all the tables are different. It doesn't have to be money. But we all have something that the world has a hold of us in our hearts. And every time we bring Christ in, every time, I'm not just saying the, the one time at baptism or when we finally accept him and say, you know, I'm going to live a good Christian life. But I'm talking every, t every week, every liturgy, every time I pray, Every time Christ comes in, he flips a table inside me. He has to because the light can't coexist with the darkness. And this is the cost of being the Christian. This is the crucifixion that we see now. This is where my own passions and ego and my desires and how I want things done and how I think want things said to me and how I want to live my life doesn't get played out. All of us are now old enough to see it doesn't get played out the way you want it. I'll read you the quote and we can be done. God is everywhere. There is no place God is not. You cry out to him, where are you, my God? And he answers, I am present, my child. I am always beside you. I am inside and outside, above and below. Wherever you turn, everything shouts, God. In him, we live and move. We breathe God. We eat God. We wear God, we, we clothe ourselves with God. Everything praises and blessings God. All of creation shout his praise. Everything, animate and inanimate, speaks wondrously and glorifies the creator. Let every breath praise the Lord. May the Lord grant us a, a, a fruitful and wonderful time over Holy Week that we, we, we feel his crucifixion, his death, and then we feel and live in his resurrection on Sunday. Glory be to God.